0: Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, 2 Under, Zexio, sun mountain golf bags finn scooters making the game more fun bionic gloves and the Mclemore club experience life above
1: the clouds now here's your host chris mascaro
2: Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And my thanks to all of you again for voting for the show and getting us up to number 16 in the podcast magazine Hot 50 list for the month of July. Over the last four months, you've taken the show from 44 to 39 to 31, and now a big jump up to number 16. Please keep voting by going to podcastmagazine.com and then clicking on Hot 50. I can't thank you all enough. It's been fantastic support. Tonight, we've got a great show on time for you. Tom Patry is back. We'll talk more about Colin Morikawa with respect to his young career and how closely it matches Tiger's first two plus years out on tour. We'll also hear TP's thoughts on the differences between Colin Morikawa and his results and Xander Schauffele and his, plus how we can both expect to accept and go through pain when we're trying to make a swing change. Got to accept it. Might not be pretty at first, but sticking to the game plan will pay dividends. Looking forward to having TP back with me. He'll join me in a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from PGA legend Bob Ford. Bob recently retired as the head golf professional at Seminole Golf Club. He did so following the Walker Cup matches this year that were held back in June. We'll talk about those matches. Plus, I want to get Bob's thoughts. I heard a story about Lee Trevino who was said to challenge anyone to a match up at Oakmont, where Bob was the uh, head golf professional for many, many years, uh, where Trevino would come out and he said he would play from the back tees, and his challenger, all his challenger needed to have was a putter because Trevino would concede that they made the green in regulation. The caveat was Trevino could place the ball anywhere on the green for them to putt from. It said Trevino had never lost on a bet like that. I want to hear if that story is true. Or just a legend. Bob will join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a second visit from PGA Tour legend Tom Pertzer. Tom joined the show back in May and was so much fun. I wanted to get him back on the show as quickly as I could. Tonight, we're going to talk about his amazing hole out from the bunker at the 1991 Colonial Tournament using a putter. He had a downhill lie at the back edge of uh, one of the bunkers, right up against the back lip. It was so amazing. The shot. I mean, he rolls the putt and it goes in. It's so amazing that the course reconstructed the bunker so it would be wider and have a big lip. And I'm guessing they didn't want that shot to happen again. We'll also go back to the 1982 Open Championship and his tie for fourth finish at Royal Troon and his 1991 victory at the World Series of Golf. So really looking forward to having Tom back as part of the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. And then we're going to round out the show with a visit from David Purcell. David is the founder and CEO of FarmLink's at Purcell Farms in Alabama. The course was named the best course you can play in the state of Alabama by several publications. We're typically used to hearing about the courses at the Robert Trent Jones Trail being the best in Alabama. Well, Purcell Farms has topped all of them. We'll hear why when David joins me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends up at the Macklemore. My buddies and I were there for our annual golf trip a few weeks back, and it was amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant, The Craig, has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every expectation that we had. I can't say enough good things about the place. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends, Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy, Kip Henley, has said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest Agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw, check. Low fade, check. Bump and run, out of the sand or flop shot, check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf, no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to tailormadegolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom can be found currently at his summer location up at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia. So if you're anywhere near Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. area, go make the short drive over to Charlottesville and get a lesson from one of the top instructors on the planet. Tom will help you get to the top of the leaderboard no matter what level you compete at, even if first prize is only having your buddies having to buy the beer at the end of the round. If you can't go see Tom in person, do what I did. Download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, tompatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatryGolf. And don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel where you can catch well over 150 free playing lessons out there for you right now. Just added a few more yesterday, and it's always an honor to have Tom as part of the show. TP, how are you, my friend?
3: Boy!
2: <laughs> no better way to kick off a show than with that. How are you, TP? I'm good, Chris.
3: I had to kind of hustle home. I was taught late and uh, fiddling around at the club trying to hit some balls. And I, looked at my, I looked at my watch and I was like, uh-oh, I got to get home from the big guy. I bolted,
2: but uh, I'm, doing good. I'm doing good. Tom, I want to get right into it tonight. Last week, we talked about Kylan Morikawa's big win at the Open Championship. He's now won five times in 49 events. So 49 events he's played in since joining the tour a couple of years ago. So he's got those five wins. He's got a couple of second-place finishes, three to be exact, 18 top 10s, 28 top 25. He's won two majors now, right, in a little over two years. And over Tiger's first two-plus seasons on tour, he had seven wins compared to Morikawa's five, but the same two majors. I don't want to get crazy, and I don't want to start putting lofty expectations on Morikawa. He's gotten off to a heck of a start uh, for his career for two years, Tom.
3: Yeah, so before we do that, let's talk about Next on the team
2: and their podcast
3: rating and how great that is. Congratulations.
2: <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate you.
3: But on the more... Thanks to the fans. Appreciate them. Yeah, yeah, I know. You got that right. So, listen, the stats are incredible, aren't they? Not the kid is very... And, you know, one of the big differences I see, Chris, is the stats are so similar but the hype about Tiger versus the hype about Colin are not comparable. I mean, Tiger was like the Beatles. So, you know, he was the Rolling Stones. He was, you know, whatever. He was Bruce Springsteen instantly. And Colin account goes about it in a whole different way. He's kind of, you know, I kind of compare it kind of like to the early 60s when everybody talked about Jack and Arnold and Gary. But nobody talked about Billy Casper. And you look at that record in the early 60s, the Casper record was incredible and, and arguably better than players. Uh, or, you know, more consistent, you know, as many wins, if not more, majors, the whole thing. Colin Mark How is is just like a quiet assassin. You know, he just kinda of quietly goes about his business, he does his thing, he has incredibly quality golf shots, he drives the ball beautifully. You know, the rap on him being a bad putter, obviously. Yeah, I gotta kinda of laugh at that a little bit. You don't you don't do the things he's done and you know, are not a bad putter. I mean, putting is such a tricky thing anyway, but the kid is really really classy, very refined, very, very, you know, low key. Um yeah, I, I I love him. I personally I love them. And 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 it's a tough comparison comparing anybody to Tiger Woods from a media hype standpoint, but, but the stats you're right, Chris, are pretty darn close. Now, can you sustain that? That's stuff you know, that's to be seen. Um but certainly to this point right now, pretty damn impressive.
2: Tom, when you look at the season that Morikawa's has had, and then you also look at John Rahm, right? Rahm has one win this year, right, at the U.S. Open. Plus, he would have had a second, right, if it wasn't for Kobe. He went, probably wins the Memorial going away. But finished tied for ninth at the Players, tied for fifth at the Masters, tied for eighth at the PGA, tied for third at the Open. And he has a total of 12 top ten finishes this year on tour. Now, you compare that to Morikawa, right, got the two wins now, right? The one at the Open and then earlier this year at the uh, at the Workday Championship. Finished tied for 18th at the Masters, tied for 41st at the Players, but tied 8 at the PGA, tied fourth at the U.S. Open. Total of eight top 10 finishes. So pretty darn close between the two. Does Rom have an edge because of the top tens and then you know the U.S. Open victory? You couple all that together, and then like I say, you you got to give him at least half credit for the Memorial. Probably wouldn't want it. But if you're talking about PGA Tour Player of the Year, you're leaning towards Rom. You're leaning towards Morikawa if it all ended right now.
3: Well, here's the bottom line. It's it's not ending right now. And we got some more, you know, important events in the playoffs coming up. So, you know, if it ended right now, I think it I, it's gonna crazy. If it ended in a tie, which obviously doesn't happen, um but I, I'm I'm still waiting for the playoffs and there's more there's more golf to be played. Um you know, I John John did an impressive job at Tory Pines, no doubt about it. But I think I was more impressed by the more win, you know, across the pond, considering how little, if any, length golf he'd played and how well he managed that golf course. Ron one the US Open on the golf course he's fond of, he's familiar with, he's he's won on before, he's got an affinity for. How across the pond and played a style of golf he's never played before in his life, and, and played in a pretty dominant fashion. So I gave a little edge to the major win across the pond. Um, but you're right, Chris. It's so statistically tight right now. Uh, it'd be hard to make a decision. I'm, I'm I'm leaning towards Colin just a little bit.
2: Tom, let's go in a little bit different angle. Let's talk about Xander Shoffley and compared to Colin Morikawa. Shoffley is a guy that. Many of us are expecting to break through any time now at a major. I mean, he has nine top tens in majors, including top ten finishes in all five U.S. Opens that he's played in. What do you think? What's the difference between he and Morikawa? Morikawa breaking through and getting it done. Xander is still knocking on the door. So
3: here's, here's, what I'll, here's what I'll want everybody out there about. You know, these kids are both youngsters in, in respect. You know, Collins, I was a bit younger, but well, younger Leander Shopper is an incredibly incredibly talented young person and and has you know played some great golf although he hasn't had the success talent that so far. But you know how you know how absolutely fine the line is in professional golf because you follow it as closely as I do. You know, th- this could flip at any minute. You know, I mean we could see Colin go I hope not go into a little bit of a slump or a little bit of a dry spell. And all of a sudden, Xander wins a breakthrough event. You know, maybe wins a major. Has you know that gets on a little bit of a run. You know, it, you, you got to look at these careers over a twenty twenty year plus period. Um And a lot of this is a Xander Shoffley is every bit as talented as Colin Morataros are concerned physically hitting golf shots. You know, it, he's got a wonderful record in majors. He, he could have very easily won two majors at this point in his career with just a couple of turns of the golf ball. So. You know, you, you know, it's too early. It's just too early. Any of these things
2: could flip in a second. Tom, I want to get your thoughts. We'll talk about the Olympics for just a moment. We've seen Bryson DeChambeau test positive oh, yeah. for COVID, so he's out. Who? Patrick Who? Cantlay and Who? Brooks Kepka were the were the <laughs> next two in line to join the team. They both declined, so now we get Patrick Reed in in place of uh, of DeChambeau. So, does this present an opportunity? For Patrick Reed to once again become Captain America, maybe do a little reparation to his image if he were to go on and win the gold medal.
3: You're, you're going to really do this on you know, the air, right? You're going to put me on the spot on <laughs> the air? You're going to do that, right? I am. Right? That's what I do. So okay, so so let me answer it the way I answered the first time you asked me this question in the year months ago. Patrick Reed in the Tom Patrick camp golf is a cheater, okay? Not on one occasion, but on more than one occasion. Patrick Reed has a list of carn- a list of carnage behind him that's a mile long. We can go back to Augusta State. We can go to University of Georgia. We can go to the PGA Tour. We can go to the Silly Seasons. We can go to a lot of different places and find some more situations. Patrick Reed couldn't get in my car. He was hitchhiking down the highway, and he- I was the last person on Earth. Okay, so. Captain America, I'm sorry. I I I want to puke when I hear that.
2: So another thing that we talked about, I believe it was last week. So you think about what we've got in the meeting rooms and uh, on the course and all that sort of stuff at the Ryder Cup. You're going to have Patrick Reed. You're going to have Bryson DeChambeau. You're going to have Brooks Koepka. And let's not forget. That the last time we had a Ryder Cup, Brooks and, uh, and DJ had a little dust up, I believe, on the plane over to, uh, <laughs> over to the event. So w- we could have, you know, four malcontents in that room, theoretically representing our country. What w- what will that be like? It makes, for, it makes for
3: good TV and good radio. Doesn't it? Just, um, <laughs> I'm not sure I I'm not sure I I'm not sure it makes a good team play, but it makes a good right. radio. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like it's 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 almost turning into Housewives of Atlanta. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I have to. I get a kind of a kick out of it in a in a bad sort of way uh, the Brooks Bryson thing. It makes makes me kind of chuckle. I'm not sure who's the bigger child at times. But it's certainly, I certainly enjoy when, 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 when books start, the to fire. Uh, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And then, you know, I, you, I forgot all about, I forgot about the, until you just said that the Dustin Brooks thing, you know, last time, I forgot all about that. Um, you know, there's so many storylines here. It's unbelievable. I, um, I don't feel really faithful right now. I don't envy Steve Stricker's position right now a whole lot. He's, he's dealing with a lot of drama uh and and more drama than he needs in the, need the team situation going into a really important
2: event. So is is this a team you could root for, or is this a team that's hard to root for?
3: It's hard, it's hard for me to root for it. It's hard for me to root for the team. Uh, I'm, you know me, Chris, pretty well. I'm, I'm as patriotic as anybody. Um But I, I think the Europeans have to be looking at chops right now. and. And Steve Steve has to be uh, and Steve's a very quiet, kind of a laid back guy, a wonderful gentleman. I'm not sure if he's strong enough to handle this crowd and sit him down and say, guys, you know what? Stop. Just just stop. We need we need we need to come together on this deal, or it's gonna get embarrassing. You know, I'm not sure he's that kind of guy. Um I I don't envy his position. I really don't.
2: Tom, let's switch gears a little bit later on tonight. Tom Pertzer is going to be back on the show and he's always been known as one of the guys that has the sweetest swing when he was out on tour. If you could pick one golf swing to copy and paste and whether you're putting it on yourself, you're putting it on your students, you're putting it on me, whatever outside of Ben Hogan, maybe is there a better swing to copy and paste and put on anybody than Tom Pertzer's? Well,
3: the current swing that I always go to uh, as far as as a model, Chris, and I, I think it's tough to have models with students because they're they're unattainable, but as Adam Scott. Um, but in, in Purser's generation, he was certainly at the top of the list. Uh, T.P. had a, an incredible-looking golf swing, a very rhythmic golf swing, um, fundamentally sound golf swing, and was a wonderful ball striker. Obviously, he was held back a little bit by, by the magic wand at times, like every, of all of us are at times, but, yeah, he, he was beautiful. Uh, I would say in his generation, he was the one I probably would look to, but today would be Adam Scott.
2: Tom, speaking of the magic wand, the putter, one of the yeah. things that's been written many times um, is around, if you if you catch the yips, you die with the yip. Is that true? you find that it's hard to, once you've got it, you can't get rid of it?
3: I think the most amazing story that's not talked about enough is of I mean, we have a guy who has ha, went to the graveyard of the Yips twice in his career and reinvented himself twice with different putting grips and different putting styles and won two Masters on arguably and easily arguably the 18 hardest putting surfaces on any one golf course at Augusta National. Um, but and I think that makes him almost freakish in the ability to recover from that situation twice in his career. You know, most times when you see somebody go down that road and get infected with that disease, you never see them come, you never see him reappear again. Um, it's an awful thing. Uh, yeah, I've worked with a lot of people at the club level who have gone through that situation. And, you know, we've, we've had to really reinvent the wheel in terms of, uh, you know, well, one time, not anymore, the long putter or the belly putter. I think the USJ did the golf player at a, a serious, the service when they outlawed those two putting styles, considering there was no no hard and fast evidence saying that 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 changed the ability to score. I mean, if you looked at Ernie Ells with the long putter, he was horrific, horrific. Um, didn't help him one bit. So for every person you pointed to that said they putted better that way, there was a player that didn't put any good that way. So, but it, but a lot of club players took solace in that style and help them calm the nerves and be able to play the game and enjoy themselves. But Chris, to answer your question, when you go down that road, sometimes it's a very, very,
1: very difficult return.
2: Tom, one of the recent videos you've added to your YouTube channel is about the pain of change. For those of us coming to you or going to our local PGA professional for help, why do we need to get comfortable with the pain we're about to go through when we're trying to make a swing change?
3: Changing the physiology of a golf swing, Chris, is a, is a, is a, a difficult endeavor. I mean, anybody that's played the game for any length of time, and unfortunately in some cases have, have, have gone down the wrong road and developed some habits that aren't really healthy or fundamentally healthy, and they really mysteriously want to change the motion, change the physiology of the golf swing, they don't have any idea how difficult it is. It's a, you know, once the computer, called the brain, writes a check, uh, that ship is kind of, is kind of locked into that thing called the brain and, and it's really hard to rewrite. It felt like the computer you just hit the delete button and you start fresh again. The brain is a very stubborn animal. Um, so changing the physiology of a motor skill is, is a difficult endeavor. And, and I'm not sure that any of the recreational players I've ever encountered fully understand how hard it is to change emotion. I think when you look at what Faldo and Ledbetter did, Incredible. Absolutely incredible. If you look at a very, very young Nick Price, um, if you go way back um and look at his golfing real early and then look at what he won with on tour and won a major with. Um incredible work had to be done there. Um we had some other string changes on tour that have been you know, pretty pretty substantial, I think of Curtis Strange and Jimmy Ballard in that style. Um It's really hard to change the physiology of golfing, and I don't think people understand the toil and the work that has to go into that to really make an effective, long-term, and lasting change.
2: Tom, just a couple more before I let you go, and I know you know that my next guest is the the great Bob Ford. They've had a long relationship with Mr. Ford. Talk about him and the things that you picked up over the years from him.
3: I met Bob Ford in 1984 playing the South African Tour, first time I had any real close contact with Bob Chris and uh, we we've developed a, a very long uh, and very important friendship to me uh, from that time. Bob Ford is um, is the epitome of what a PGA golf specialist could be. He's in first place in that category and he's not a close second. Um, he's been a friend to me. He's been a mentor to me. Um, he's given a, an advisor to me. Um, I, I love the man like he was my brother. I've never met somebody who gave back, very, very quietly gave back uh, to so many of us that needed help, um, whether whether it be golf swing help or, or business help or or personalized help. He's uh, he, always been there for us. Um, I don't think that the younger generation, of the PGA of America, do not know him personally understand the impact he had on us as a profession over the last 30 plus years. Uh, of our development as an organization behind the scenes. Um, certainly the people at Oakmont and Seminole know who Bob Ford is very well. Um, every time I spend time with Bob Ford, uh, I value that time. Uh, I love him very, very much. He's got an incredible family. His wife, Nancy, and kids are just just an incredible unit. Um, I've, I've been privileged to stay at the house a couple of times, and it's always been – uh, I've always gotten in the car and drove away thinking that, uh, it was a special time for me. So you're blessed to have him on as your next guest. We're blessed to have him, uh, as one of our, our pillar, our pillars of our, our organization. And I can't say enough about him, obviously.
2: Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can get all the content that you have out there, YouTube channel, and then following you on social media as well.
3: All the typical places, Chris. Uh the website is com, and then you know Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Twitter, all those regular places. Uh and then my the favorite place for people to get me is uh biweekly with Chris Mascaro and Next on the T, the greatest golf podcast on the on the airwaves.
2: <laughs> I love you, my friend. Thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks in between now and then. Stay safe, my friend.
3: Because tell Bobby I said hi and tell Pertz I said hi. You're the best in the whole world. I love being on with you, pal. Thanks for having
2: me. You betcha. Take care, CP. We'll catch up soon. That's the great Tom Patrick. At Tom Patrick Golf is where you can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram. The YouTube channel, folks, if you're not subscribed already, and you should be, go out there and get that done. Like I said, he is well over 150 playing lessons out there and adding to it all the time. Added a handful yesterday, and I know we still got more to come. So um, I can't say enough great things about Tom Patry. His uh, his style of teaching is fantastic, and uh, the amount of content that he gives away for free, oh, by the way, is uh, is wonderful as well. So looking forward to catching up with Tom again in a couple of weeks. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Bob Ford, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment? Maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com, that's dot com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout-out to another new sponsor, Bionic Loves. Do what you do better with Bionic Loves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Loves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Loves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect love to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio Clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio Clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio Clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador N.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did it using Zexio 11 woods and X irons. Ernie Els and Top Instructor Martin Hall are Zexio ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's X-X-I-O-U-S-A.com, and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is one of the top instructors ever and a living legend in our game, and that's Bob Ford. Bob has been a great player and instructor for over four decades. He grew up in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at the University of Tampa from 1971 to 1975, and was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. He was also inducted into the Allegheny-Kiskey Valley Sports Hall of Fame in 1996, our good friend Gus Farratt over on the football side is also a member of that Hall of Fame. Bob was inducted into the Western Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame in 1998 and the PGA Professional Hall of Fame in 2005. He was the head professional at both Oakmont Country Club and Seminole Golf Club, two of the top courses in the world. As a player, Bob won the Pennsylvania Open three times. He played in three U.S. Opens. He played in 10 PGA Championships. He joined me last September, and I was so honored to have him back then, and even more honored to have him for a second time tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Bob, how are you, my friend?
4: I'm good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I uh, caught a little bit of Tom Patrick's uh, uh,
2: his words with you, which were very
4: nice, and uh, he's, he's a great guy himself.
2: Bob, I know you retired back in June. How you doing with that?
4: Well, Chris, you know, I, I had retired from Oakmont in 16. So, uh, really the last, you know, four summers up until now have been, you know, kind of retired summers. So I've had some practice rounds at it and I'm doing pretty good. I've enjoyed it and, uh, to, uh, you know, I mean, I'm trying to keep my hands in the game a little bit and, uh, and have some time for my family and, and, uh, uh, just, you know, just, just great to be able to get up and do whatever you want to do.
2: And I know you, you left Seminole there, like I say, in June, right after the Walker Cup. And I know that that event, uh, holds a, a special place in your heart. Talk about what about the Walker Cup is, uh, so meaningful to you. Well, Chris,
4: you know, it was, uh, the Walker Cup one of the great events the USGA runs. And, uh, I couldn't have been more happy with how ours turned out. We had, uh, you know, a lot of incredible member support. Uh, Timmy Near and Luis Fernandez were our co chairman Uh, Tim took over for Jack Vardaman, who actually passed away throughout the summer prior, which was really sad. And they did a wonderful job honoring him. But, uh, the only time that you get great weather and the greens uh, on the golf course, the condition of the golf course was just extraordinary. Uh, Nelson Caron is our new superintendent. He did a wonderful job and, you know, it was just a recipe for success and, uh, COVID only let us have about 2,500 spectators, so, uh, you know, those that got to be on the property really uh was really a treat for them, and the u s j did a wonderful job, you know, hosting it with us and, and running the event. From their standpoint, they do a great job at those things, and, uh, you know, it was a great time for me to retire. I, I had told Jimmy Dunn two or three years prior that I probably would sign off if he'd let me, and uh, after the Walker Cup, and. You know, I retired after the 16 Open, the Dustin Johnson one at Oakmont. So I thought it was pretty fitting to, you know, go through another USGA event and, and call it quits. So, but uh, yeah, the Walker Cup was a great memory now for us at Seminole.
2: And, Bob, Nathaniel Crosby was the captain of the U.S. team this year. Played his college golf down there at the University of Miami. He's a 1981 U.S. Amateur champion and also obviously one of Bing Crosby's sons. And Bing was a part owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1946 until he passed in 1977. I'm curious, did you get to know Bing and the Crosby family from your years up there at Oakmont?
4: No, Chris, I really didn't. Uh, You know, I started at Oakmont really after college in '75, so Bing was only alive a couple more years. But uh, you know, I've got certainly gotten to know Nathaniel through the years as he was, you know, after he. Retired from his playing career, which it's, you know, he's a wonderful player. Uh, he really got into the golf business. He, he and Tony penna were pals. They got in that business. Uh, you know, he got in the Tony penna golf club business with Tony and he got in the business with Jack Nicholas. And, uh, so he's been through the golf industry and we've been pals, uh, through those years. And then when I got to Seminole, I mean, he, you know, he, he's a character. Nathaniel's a great, great guy and, uh, meant the world to, to the game and to Seminole and, uh, USJ did a great job picking him as our, as our, uh, captain, you know, during the, the, the Walker Cup at his own club. It was really neat, really a cool thing to do. And he did a great job. He won both matches, you know, over at Liverpool and at Seminole and, uh, just a fun guy. Everybody loves him. Easy
2: going. Uh, there's, there's no errors about him at all.
4: And, uh, just a good guy to be around and play golf with.
2: Bob, Seminole has been a course that we've all heard about for years, heard how great it was, but most of us had never seen it, not even on television. But we got our first look at it last year at the TaylorMade Driving for Relief match, and now we get to see a bit of it at the Walker Cup. Why was the timing right over the last year to let the world finally see the fantastic course that you have there?
4: Well, you know, uh, Seminole is run by a czar. And uh Jimmy Dunn is our current Czar he's got about nine years in as the czar and uh you know every Czar has their own philosophy on Seminole and you know a lot of people continued the philosophy of czars before them and uh you know Jimmy's kind of his own man, and he he really felt like we owed it to the game to chair Seminole you know with with a championship like the Walker Cup, which is one of the few that we could host at Seminole because the property is so small, but also host it with the world. And let you know, open the doors to the world to see Seminole. And uh in 2022, we're also going to host the uh Jack Stevens uh, College Tournament which is going to be aired on the Golf Channel. And uh so Jimmy just feels differently and uh he calls shot really doesn't need any and he, you know, he asked for some advice for some of the other guys on the board that, uh, that they meet a couple of times a year, but, uh, virtually he makes the decisions and his decision is to give back to the game. Uh, so he gave back to amateur golf. We have a lot of, uh, as you know, seminal members that are Walker Cup players and captains, uh, throughout our history. And, uh, and our, our members, uh, embraced it. They loved it. They were so proud and, uh, I mean, there, there's not a member there that felt like we shouldn't do it.
2: And, Bob, you've had dozens of assistant pros go on from working for you to being head pros somewhere else all around the world. That seems like a pretty darn nice legacy to leave to the game. Is that uh, something you look back on and say, you know what, that's probably my greatest achievement?
4: Chris, you know, I, I had a motive. I, had, I knew I was someday I was going to retire, and I needed places to Play around the country and now I've got about (laughs) 54 honorary memberships out there. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It it, is, it is my legacy. Uh, You know, I'm I'm fortunate uh, to have been at two places kind of, you know, even at the same time. So I kind of doubled down on how many guys got out, but uh, you know, I was very fortunate that that really the members at Oakmont and Seminole uh, embraced you know, helping these kids move on. I, I, I did very little, frankly. You know, I hired the kids and they did the rest and then the members took care of them and made sure they got jobs at places. And, uh, it's, you know, it's been a great thrill for our members every time someone, you know, one of our guys gets a job and a great thrill for me as well. I'm, I'm just, uh, kind of been along for the ride, but it's been a great ride. Bob Devin G is the
2: head pro at Oakmont now. He's just the third head pro there over the last 69 years. It's kind of like getting the head coaching job with the Steelers. You're probably going to be there for a while. And he's getting ready to host his first USGA event in a couple of weeks when the US Amateurs played there. So what advice did you give to Devin before you handed him the keys a few years ago?
4: <laughs> well, he was giving me advice the last few years, Chris. Uh, he's he's really a breakout professional, and and you know now they're getting ready to have a his first baby, which I'm so excited for him about, but uh, you know, I, Devin and Matt Cahill down at Seminole, it, it was, you know, I was incredibly lucky to get the Oakmont job. I was the assistant under Lou Warsham and he retired. And you know, I, I interviewed with five other guys, went through about a year and a half long process. I, I had the advantage. I was there and people knew me. And uh, even though I was young, uh, they were willing to give me a chance and, uh, you know, Devin and Matt are both really good players. Uh, both clubs are kind of demand that from their golf professionals, from the history of, you know, uh, Lou Warsham at Oakmont and before at Wessler was a great player and a seminal alley. So, you know, they had, you know, the Masters champion couple, you know, Claude Harmon and Henry Picard and then Jerry Pittman that I replaced was he had two uh, top ten in the Masters and the Open in the same season. So uh, they had a history of good players. These two kids happened to come along right at the right time. And uh, they're tremendous golf professionals. I, I couldn't be more proud of them and couldn't be more supportive in the, the choice that the clubs made in hiring both of
2: them. Bob, I read that you and your college roommate are serving as co-chairman for the U.S. Amateur. Talk about getting to do something like that with him.
4: Well, oh, Chris, you're on top of your game. Not many people know that. <laughs> Not that it's a secret, but you know, you know, I've had a lot of nice things bestowed on me through the years, again, because I was at such famous clubs, but it's one of the great honors that I've ever held. Uh, you know, the number one to be a member at Oakmont and number two for Ed Sachs, our president, and for him to uh allow me to be the the chairman and I asked Rod be my co-chairman because we were college roommates. He's been a member there for 30, 40 years. He's vice president of the club and just one of the great people in the world. And and we've had so much fun and uh, we've done very little work because we hired a gal named uh, Laura Seguin, who is uh, Eri Seguin's wife. Eri is the pro at the vineyard in in, uh, Martha's Vineyard. And he worked at Seminole for us and got that job up at the vineyards and, and married this wonderful gal who's got a big background in USGA, uh, administration of tournaments. And, uh, we were smart enough to hire her. She, she tells us what to do and, uh, we, we get all the accolades and she does all the work. So, uh, it's, it's been great. The US Amateur has been a blast. Uh, I can't wait. You know, when, I, when we hosted it in 03, it was one of the most fun events that all of us, uh, you know, had in our, in our tenure there at Oakmont, whether you're a member or a staff or whatever, it's just really fun. And uh, we're excited to do it. And to be the co-chairman of it, it's a real thrill and a real honor for me.
2: Bob, I I read a story about Lee Cervino up there at Oakmont. I want to get your thoughts. Of, is it true or is it just an, an urban legend? But I read the story that he would offer any comers, whether it's fellow tour players or or members there at at Oakmont, that he would play his own ball from the back tees. And his, his opponent would just have to bring a putter because Trevino would concede that the ball was on the green every time in regulation. But the caveat was that Trevino could place the ball anywhere on the green that he wanted, and his opponent had to putt from there. Lowest score, obviously, winning the hole. Legend has it, Trevino never lost. Is that true? Did that happen?
4: No, Chris, no, I, you're you're catching me off guard here. I've never heard that story. I will tell you, though, that we have talked about a story similar to that. No, it's never been done, but, you know, I've told people that, that you know, you could hit 18 greens at Oakmont and not shoot par if you, you know, let us put the ball on the green in a certain spot. So uh, it's interesting. I've never heard that said about Lee. Really, the quote that, that we credit Lee with that we have in some of our documents Is, uh, you know, the fact that we can, you could play the open next week at Oakmont. Uh, They're ready, U.S. open ready, you know, day day in and day out, you know, 125 days a year. So, but no, I never heard that story. It's interesting, but he's right. And I, and I bet he could have (laughs) beat (laughs) him.
2: Bob, going back to your playing career, pardon me. You qualified to play in three U.S. opens, including the 83 open there at Oakmont. And when I look back at the stories about you and that week, you got to play practice rounds with Jack Nicklaus, Tom Weiskopf, Ed Sneed, Arnold Palmer, Ben Crenshaw, Miller Barber, and Jay Siegel. Then if you look at who you got paired with over the weekend, because you made the cut, you're playing with Hubert Green, Lou Graham, Bob Gilder. And you had to be, I'm guessing, 29 or 30 at that time. And here you are playing with arguably some of the greatest players to ever pick up a golf club. You intimidated at that point or are you used to playing with guys at that level?
4: Petrified. Absolutely petrified. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> no, I was uh, you know, I was way over my feet I I, I did qualify in 1980 to play in the Open at Ballastrol at Jack Beat Aoki in. and I played in the PGA I think in 81, so I had a couple under my belt and uh I will tell you though I, I I, uh, I played with Jack Nicholas the weekend before, before the week. It wasn't the exact week, you know, he comes about, you know, 10 days early to play with his sons and we got to play. And, and, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, would you play with me during the week, a practice round? And he said, yeah, let's play the, the Wednesday and I'll, I'll get the game. And he got Weisskopf and Sneed to play with us. And with Arnold, you know, Arnold was always just incredibly gracious to me and said, you know, come on, we'll play a practice round and we set up Tuesday. Cute story about that day, <clears throat> I had caddied for Ben Crenshaw the the uh, the fall prior in Japan of all places. They uh, Roger Cleveland got Bob Ross and I the ball saw organized to go down there to a club that his wife's family owned and teach for two weeks. We took our wives, paid all our expenses, we Talked for a couple of weeks and they had a tournament there called the Benson and Hedges. You wouldn't remember this because it was back in 82, I guess. It was Tony Jacklin versus Ben Crenshaw, four rounds in four days on four different continents. Wow. They were obviously flying around, but they flew them into this club we were teaching at and I got the caddy for Crenshaw and Bob Ross caddy for Tony Jacklin. I don't know, they both shot 71 or 72, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, really my first time to spend some time with Ben. And I, I don't know how it came about, but I said, you know, if I happen to qualify for the open at Oakmont next summer. Would you play a practice round with me? He said, yeah, I'd love to. So I called him in the fair qualified and said, Ben, you know, I actually made it. It's a qualifier. Can you play on a Tuesday? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. So. I kind of grew up padding a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit for Jay Siegel. And, uh, Jay stayed at my house in 81 when he won the Pennsylvania Amateur at Oakmont. So we were pals and, uh, we were, I, you know, I added him to the, to the group. So we had Arnold and Jay and then Crenshaw. And it comes the day of the, of the event on that Tuesday and, uh, Ben says, uh, we're all set. I got Miller Barber to play with us. I'm like, oh, oh no. Oh God. I got Jay Sigel and Al Palmer. And he said, well, we got five. And I said, he said, do you think they'll let us play? I said, oh my God, I, I, I don't know, that. I kind of doubt it. But let me, let me talk to PJ Boatwright. He was kind of running the championship. And I said, PJ, I'm in a here. You know, I got these guys, you know, do you think, think we can play? And he said, is Arnold going to play? I said, yeah. He said, well, why don't you just go ahead and play five? So because we were playing with the King at Oakmont, we got <laughs> to play five ball. And uh, that's, how, that's how that all came down. But uh, the point of the story is, you know, after that Tuesday and Wednesday playing with those superstars of, you know, my heroes, come Thursday, I wasn't so nervous. I mean, I was really nervous Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, I wasn't really nervous come Thursday. And I was paired with. Two of my buddies, Steve Benson and Jim Albus, were both cup pros that we all played on a cup team match in 81 down at Turnberry in Miami. And so we were pals and it was just like going out there with my buddies. And I, I just wasn't that nervous. And I just, you know, I played kind of like I normally play at Oakmont, uh, you know, because it's my home course. And uh just got lucky enough to, you know, to uh, make the cut and play the weekend and yeah, you know, obviously just one of the great shows of my career.
2: Bob, just a couple more before I let you go. And I also read that you played a round of golf with Ralph Terry, Bill Mazeroski, and Bob Friend, the three main guys involved in the 1960 Pirates' great World Series victory over the Yankees with obviously Maz hitting the, the home run to walk it off against Ralph Terry in the ninth inning. I'm curious, what was the conversation like during that round?
4: Well, I don't know that I remember it much, but I mean, those were, you know, I was a Philadelphia boy, as you know, and uh, a Philly fan, you know, in 1960. So I really wasn't a pirate fan, but my folks moved back to Pittsburgh. Thank God that's what opened all the doors for me in my career. And, uh, you know, I obviously became a pirate and a Steelers fan very quickly and a, and a, and a Penguin fan. And uh, you know, to get to play with those three legends uh at Oakmont. Bob Friend was a member at Oakmont and he was my golf chairman. And his son Bobby, you know, kinda raised him since he was ten and became a great player, lost in the uh in a playoff in the Canadian Open to Billy Andre, but he was a great player himself. And uh, you know, Maz is just a great guy and gave so much back to the city, as Bob did. And uh and Ralph Terry as you know, is just one of the great guys in the world. There couldn't be a better guy. I think I think he actually won on a champions tour. And he was a great friend of uh of Dennis Walters, who is the paraplegic trick artist who's become one of my best friends down on Jupiter. We spend, you know, lots of time together and uh he just raised about Ralph and uh those three guys couldn't be couldn't be three better guys and and we just had a ball
2: yeah I'm looking forward. Dennis Walters is going to join me on the show in a few weeks, so very excited about that conversation too bob before I let you go, let our listeners know i can't I can't imagine you're done with the game of golf. What's next for you well
4: chris you know uh i i i help i do some consulting with with golf business network it's called g b n and patrick seether owns it and it's President of it and we do some searches, uh, for private clubs for so the GMs, the superintendents and the, and the directors of golf. And that keeps me kind of busy. And you know that I'm the starter on the first piece of the U.S. Open, which is a lot of fun and, uh, play a lot of golf, uh, host a lot of pals, uh, at Oakmont and, uh, I'll do some of that at Seminole and, uh, you know, just spending time with my family and enjoying life really not nothing too exciting, but. I know you got Tom Percher coming up on your show and he you won't remember this because he's, you know, just one of the great tour players of all time. We, you know, he always won the prettiest swing in the, you know, and all the Golf digest surveys and whatnot. But we were paired together in the final round of the U S open at, uh, Olympic, uh, Oakland Hills in 96 in Detroit. And, uh, Another great memory for me to uh, play the weekend at Oakland Hills. And uh, just one of the great, great guys. His brother, Paul, was a club professional and a good buddy of mine. And give him my regards. He's uh, really one of the great guys in the world and uh, just loves his golf swing.
2: I'll certainly pass that along. I'm sure he's, uh, he's in the queue, so he'll be joining me next. I'm sure he heard it, but we'll touch on that as well. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill when you're uh, when you're on with me. I hope I get the privilege of getting you back on the show again soon.
4: Chris, you're one of the best. Uh, anytime, buddy. I appreciate you. Same here.
2: Take care. Stay safe, Mr. Ford. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you, like I say, not too long from now. All right, buddy. Take care. That is the great Bob Ford, folks. Boy, it just doesn't get much better than that. What a wonderful man. You know, Tom Patrick at the top of the show talked about what a great person Bob Ford is. He is uh, just as genuine and as nice and as good to people as you can imagine. Uh, he has been very, very nice to me. We've had uh, a couple of really great conversations, not just on the air, but off the air as well. So uh, I'm very honored that he came back and was a part of the show again tonight. I look forward to catching up with him. Hopefully, like I say, real soon. All right. Before I get to my next guest, Tom Pertzer, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance, with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
0: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA TOUR Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA TOUR Superstore their golf pro shop.
2: Visit them online
0: at PGATOURSUPERSTORE.COM. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
2: All right, now back in making his second appearance with me here on Next on the Tea is PGA TOUR legend Tom Pertzer. Had such a great time with Tom when he joined me a few months ago that I wanted to get him back on the show as quickly as I could. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Des Moines, Iowa. Played his college golf at Arizona State from 1970 to 73. Turned pro a little bit later on in that year in 73. Got his first tour victory at the 1977 Glen Campbell LA Open. Won that golf tournament by one stroke over Lanny Watkins. Tom won five times on the PGA Tour. Four more times on the Champions Tour. In all, he had 15 professional wins. And he's always been known as having the sweetest swing on tour, and it's a huge thrill to have him back with me again tonight here on next on the Tee. Hey, Tom, thanks for coming back on the show
0: Hey Chris how are you doing love love being on I'm your fantastic. Stuff. How are you i i feel I feel pretty honored to be behind to follow t p and then the consummate golf professional bob ford um he, you know he's 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 the classiest. I'm. I'm. I think he's the classiest professional that I know. Um. You know the he can he can play as good as anybody
2: and uh, just the nicest man you'd ever want to meet. Yeah, and I certainly second that. And uh, Tom Patrick talked about it uh, as we segued into Mr. Ford's segment. But um, yeah, he's he's a wonderful man, and very honored that he would come back and and join me a second time. Just like I'm honored that you're back. For a second time tonight, catch us up, Tom. what's been going on with you this summer?
0: Oh, not much just uh kind of i'm i kind of in that stage where i'm I enjoy being retired, but I'm getting bored, so I'm trying to figure out the next step in the in the in my next chapter in my life but um, I'm having fun uh I still play a little bit um practice quite a bit, you know. You always, you always think you can get better. So uh, I think that's kind of, kind of what is in the back of my mind.
2: Tom, I want to take you back tonight, uh, to some more of uh, the highlights from your career. And I want to start with the 1991 colonial tournament. You made one of the greatest birdies I've ever seen. Maybe one of the greatest birdies of all time on the 13th hole. You hold out. From the bunker, you had a downhill lie from the back part of the bunker. Not much room to take a backswing with that putter. And you put it, and it goes over the lip and into the bottom of the cup. And the the great Ben Wright, I saw the video, and Ben Wright, who's a wonderful friend of the show, when he was commentating on that shot, and he said he'll dream about that shot for years and tell his grandchildren about it. Talk about that shot. <laughs> well, it was
0: it was. Uh... I hit a pretty good shot off the tee. I just hit it, kind of caught it too good and it got, went over the green and kind of went back up the hill and it kind of lodged on a little, a little pebble instead of coming back down to the bottom of the bunker. So I was kind of stuck. I'm now I'm hitting off a down slope and there's water right behind the pin. And you know, it's one of those shots that, uh, you know, <clears throat> Watson was, In the same bunker and you know, he's one of the, he was one of the best bunker players ever. So, um, I, I kind of thought, you know, I was putting pretty good. So I figured if I could just get it down anywhere near, you know, five feet inside five feet, something like that, that's all I want. Cause I think I could, I felt like I could have made it, but you know, I got in there with the sand wedge and I'm going, "Mm, I don't like (laughs) the, you know, it was, I was a decent, bunker player then but I mean you know in that situation I think I might have been like one shot ahead at the time and I was you know I was nervous as a as as a cat and um so I, I kinda got in there and I got going and go, oh no, I don't think I can I don't want to do that. So then I saw and I there was no lift there. There was it was just a nice gentle the the you know the bunker had been raked up so there was no lift. And I go, shoot, if I can just get this out of the bunker downhill, if I can just get it kind of on the green, it'll get somewhere around the hole. And, uh, you know, I got in there and, you know, I don't know, I felt, felt pretty good over it and hit a good putt and it just came out perfect. And, um, and you know, luck would luck have it. It it wins the hole, which, which ultimately kind of won the tournament for me, but, um, it it was kind of funny. They, I got a, I got a call from Julie Inkster about two months after that, uh, maybe two or three months after they were playing the ladies open there that year. And she was all upset at me for, she said, you can't believe what they did to this bunker. Um, you know, there, there was no, there was a gigantic lip there, you know, and, um, so there was no way of, of, of putting the ball out of there. And, you know, lately I've, I've just seen, they just had a PGA. Tour just had a little blurb on, on that bunker and it's totally different now. It's a, like you, I think like you said earlier, it's a big, huge bunker with big lip. And, um, yeah, there's, I don't, I don't think the members thought kindly of me knocking that in, but it, the other thing that was funny is I went and did a, I went and did a, um, uh, I went and did a, the media day for them the next year and they took me out there and, Said we want you to reenact this, um, you know, and they 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 made it so that I could putt out of there, and I made it on my fourth ball. So it was I, I, wow. I could I could be I could be here and I could hit a hundred putts wouldn't go in, but on the fourth ball it went in. So it was pretty funny. I don't, it must have been an easy shot. <laughs>
2: well, I also saw the PGA Tour tried to recreate that. Right, I saw a video earlier this year where they had several players in that bunker. Trying to recreate that shot, and none of them could do it. Yeah,
0: it was uh, totally—it was you know, hundred hundred percent different. It was you know, huge lip, and it was a much bigger bunker. I was surprised they made it uh, you know that big, but yeah, totally no, no way they could even barely put it out of there. But that was pretty funny.
2: Tom, we're on the heels of the Open Championship, so I want to. Take you back to 1982 at the open championship at Royal Troon. You finished tied for fourth that week and, uh, you were one of only a handful of guys to break par for the tournament. If it wasn't for a bit of a struggle in the first round, you'd probably win that championship. What do you remember about that week? Well,
0: um, the, the biggest thing was, um, I, I felt good when I, was, I you know, I went over, had to qualify, uh, played at a great college great golf course called Western Gales, and got through that qualifier and then went over and played. And I, I liked the golf course right away. I felt good, you know, and I had a, a good caddy. And I think his name was Jimmy. He was actually the the um, caddy master at Western Gales. You know, he said, Hey, if you get in, I'll caddy for you over there. And he was an older gentleman. And I actually, I think he told me that he caddied for Arnold there in the, I don't know, 50 in the, when they were they played at through in the fifties. And um so he was, you know, very knowledgeable guy and so we got along good and uh yeah that first round was uh was uh you know kind of killed me but I I didn't realize it was my first open over there and I didn't realize that you know traffic got a little bad coming in there tournament because, you know, when on my practice rounds I kind of breezed in there there was only one way in and one way out. And, um, so I got there and I was in traffic for over an hour. I got to the, I got to the parking lot with 15 minutes before my tea time. Wow. Didn't get to hit any practice stalls or anything. I think I might've hit a couple of putts and, and took off, you know, and shot 76. And, you know, it's a little bit discouraged, but then you know, I kind of, I still felt like I was playing good, and I, I wanted to make the cut in my first British Open, so shot sixty six the second round, and and you know, I, I I played pretty good after that. I think I had a not a great round on Saturday either. Uh, I think um, maybe I shot seventy four or five or something, but and then I played good on the last day. But the one thing I do remember is seventeen, pretty good par. Yes, yeah. and and I hit a I hit a two iron which I'm sure they're hitting probably seven irons to that green now, but I had to hit a two iron, and I hit it about six inches away. Almost went in, and so I made two there and then made a good par on the last hole to finish uh, tied for, what, third or fourth or something. To, uh, but it was a great experience. I, I loved playing over there. I I, always, I I enjoyed playing the British Open. Um, you know, it was, it was hard for me because I'm a highball hitter. I grew up in Arizona where, we get no wind here, so you know you can hit it as high as you want. Um, but so I, I, you know, I had to play a little different game. But that was the challenge of of the British Open.
2: And you played in that Open at uh, Troon again in '97. So I'm curious, Tom. You had several cracks at the eighth hole. You know, people refer to it as the postage stamp. It's the shortest hole in Open Championship play, only 123 yards thereabouts. What's it like trying to get it on that green? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I equate it with that green at 17 at TPC. Yeah, it's kind of an either or and the thing about it is over there you got wind to contend with. You know you're hitting a short iron and like I said, I I didn't have that, you know, that knockdown pitching wedge. So it was a, it was quite a challenge for me, but um I, I think I might have hit the green one day out of the four. Uh, but I, I kind of I kind of equate it to, you know, trying to get it on the green on 17 at TPC. And,
2: Tom, one thing that um, folks may not remember, but prior to 1990, there was a different size golf ball played over on the European Tour, just a little bit smaller than the ball that we're all used to. Did you ever have to play the smaller ball? I
0: I think my I the first year I played there I think you could still play it but nobody played it it was it was really hard to play it was not only smaller but it was lighter so um it it made it, it was a challenge I don't know how those guys played with that ball before <laughs> um uh, but I think the the year I played I think we could you could play either one if I'm I'm not if I'm not mistaken but I've hit, I've played around with it and I didn't like it at all. I mean, it was, um, I, I much preferred the, our ball. Um, but I, I never did have to play it in a, in a competitive round. So, uh, I feel kind of fortunate that, you know, everybody talked about that it went longer and it was better in the wind and I, I didn't, I didn't see that. Um, but
3: I don't know.
2: Tom, we'll fast forward to 1991. You finished fourth on the money list that year. You won the World Series of Golf in a playoff over Jim Gallagher Jr. and Davis Love III. You three were the only ones to finish the tournament under par. You tied at one under, and you would go on to win with a par in the second playoff hole. Talk about that win at Firestone. And, you know, from what I see from the scores, must have been playing like a monster that week. Well, you
0: know... It was always back then it was always the longest uh course that we played all year um and it was you know it was tough as heck it was a, it was really a great golf course, but i mean you had to you know you fired up your long irons almost almost every other shot you felt like you were hitting a three or four iron into a par four um but you know it was a great it, it was a great win for me it really set up the rest of my career on the PGA tour because I was 40 and I got a 10 year exemption. So that, that set me up right to the, uh, to the champions tour. And um I, I got hurt. Ninety, 91 was my best year. And I got hurt the first week of uh, first week in January at 92 and kind of wasn't, didn't really, wasn't the same uh, after that. But, you know, I, I remember, a lot of things about that round, how, um, you know, I just played steady. I didn't, um, and I I love those kind of tournaments, like U.S. Open, stuff like that, where you didn't have to shoot 20 under par to, to win. Because like you said earlier, you know, the putter was a little, my putter was a little dodgy <laughs> at times. And, um, but I hit it, I hit it really good that that week. And then I remember, you know, going to the playoff with, Davis Love, who was you know great great player at that at that time, and I mean still is uh, um and then Jimmy Gallagher, and I was fortunate because and he hit it in the uh first fairway, maybe he hit it way way right, and then uh Davis hit second, I think, and he hit a kind of a little hook in the trees, so uh, I felt pretty good about it and i I just killed a drive right down the middle and, um, they kind of had tough second shots and, uh, I just, you know, hit my, I don't know what I hit nine iron or something for my second shot. And, uh, but you know, that was one of those, one of those memories that I'll never, uh, I'll never forget. You know, it was a huge win for me. Uh, and, um, it, you know, just, just a great
2: week. Tom, for, for our listeners who don't know what it's like to have to tee it up with a persimmon driver and a ballata ball versus, you know, what we have today, talk about what that was like and how much the variation is between the clubs that you grew up playing and the clubs that kids today now grow up playing. (laughs) Well, I kind of feel like we were in the
0: dark ages. It was... uh, Totally different game. Um, you had to hit in the middle of the club face, you know, with your driver. Um, you know, they, they had bulge and roll on, on drivers that, that tried to help you, you know, make hit off center hit and, and still be in okay shape. But, um, you know, and I don't, I, I think it's great that how, how these, the kids play now. I mean, this is what the equipment that they have, but um certainly you know jack Nicholas and um you know watson johnny miller and all those guys they played a much different duff a much tougher game than the guys are playing now um not to take anything away i mean um but it it was a totally different you know the balls uh balls were you know a lot different um uh, and, and you know, you're playing with 43 and a half inch steel shafted wood clubs, uh, that were heavy. And, uh, you know, you, you, you really had to hit it in the middle of the club face to be any good at all. Um, so, uh, it, it was a, you know, and it's, it's kind of hard to compare the two, uh, now, but you, you know, you wonder if Jack Nicholas or, or any of those, you know, great players, had the equipment that they have now what what they would have done with that maybe would have been scary you know I, I i love watching the kids play these days i i went out specifically i went to the phoenix open specifically this year just to watch colin marikawa play um, i had heard a lot about him uh willie wood's a good friend of mine and you know and he gives me the scoop on all all the young kids who to who to watch and and uh who are the good guys and stuff and I specifically went out there to watch him, and uh, it's kind of neat to to see what what he's done, uh, how he's handled this year.
2: Going back for just a moment on the comment about uh, persimmon drivers, that's where the phrase hit it in the screws" came from, right? Because they literally had four screws in the face of the driver. If you could catch it on the screws, you could get a little extra distance.
0: yeah and and you and you knew if you didn't, you know you could you definitely <laughs> felt. But um yeah it was it was a different game it really was. Um um uh, pretty much everything was different. I mean, you know, we played we had 2 and 3 irons versus the rescue rescue clubs that the guys use now, you know, and how much easier they they are to hit than, you know, 2 iron and 3 irons and um you know, again, not to take anything away from them, but it certainly it certainly was a much tougher game then.
2: Tom, as an Arizona State alumni, were you heartbroken for John Rahm at the Memorial, then thrilled for him at the U.S. Open? Is he a guy that you follow because you both played there?
0: Sure. Yeah, I I really haven't. I've never met John. Uh, I've seen him, um, but I, I never have had the privilege to meet him. But um, great kid. Uh, he's done a lot Arizona State. and He's had a great career. I, I was heartbroken at, at memorial. Uh what a, what a shame, you know. I don't and I I just don't know, you know, I don't think the tour handled that um in a very good manner. Uh you know, from from the very start when they caught him right coming off right off 18th green, that should have been something that happened in the in the scorer's tent. Um what they did to him on 18th green was that was that was awful. And it was uh classless and you know, I and my my thought is you know, if he doesn't have
3: symptoms,
0: let him play by himself on, on the last round. I know why they didn't do it. You know, because they would have caught grief from the country for for you know a guy testing positive and letting it play. But you know, if he if he doesn't have symptoms and he, you know, just let him you know team him up by himself, let him play the last round by himself. I don't know. There there had to be some other you know, he's got a six shot lead, he just shot sixty three on the great golf course. And um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer was, but it it just it kinda of broke my heart. But then, you know, Karma comes back and he wins the US Open the next week on a on a you know, really tough golf course and um you know, that was that was great to see.
2: Tom, back when you played, there was no track man data. There were no Devices, you know, I don't know if anyone even heard of the term spin rate back at the time or smash factor or any of that stuff. Heck, you guys didn't even have video so you could watch your swings when, when things would go wrong with your ball flight. How did you deal with it? How'd you figure it out?
0: Well, I think, you know, we relied on, um, we had, you know, most of us had teachers and I was lucky enough to have a really good teacher in, in Peter Costas and, um, uh, you know, some Hank Johnson and some other guys, my brother. Um, so you'd kind of rely on them. Um, it's funny but when we would, I don't know, eight, we'd had these eight millimeter cameras. So you'd take some, you'd take some film and then you, you'd have them developed and a week later you could look at them. <laughs> um, it, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have much technology back then. And I mean, I was with Spalding for a lot of years and, We'd, we'd go back to Chicopee and we'd watch them grind the head and we'd get the club six months later. You know, they, they'd go through that, have to go through the process and, and everything. And I mean, now you, now you can get a new set of irons in, uh, on tour. You can get them, you know, in three or four hours. So, you know, the technology's changed a lot, but you know, you relied, you basically relied on, um, feel, you know, your feel. And you relied on, on, on great eyes of, of teachers. Um and that, you know, it was, uh, you know, you, you, you didn't make a swing and then go back and look at your iPad right away. um or get, get the data off of the track man. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's taken some of the feel away. I mean, these guys play great, but I, I think like I, I practice out at TPC and, you know, four out of the five kids have track men. They're behind there when they're hitting shots and, you know, every shot they get their phone out and they look and see what, what it was, you know, what their results were on that swing. So I don't know. I, I think it's, it's taken a little bit away from, um, you know, just the feel and hitting shots and. Um, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's good because it tells them, you know, I mean, you can go, you can go somewhere and, and 20 minutes, they can give you a shaft and a head, a driver head and a shaft that, that match what you want to do. And you can hit it 15 yards further, 20 yards further. So technology, it's kind of hard to stop technology, but
2: I'm not sure it's good for the game. Tom, before I let you go talk about your golf academy and what you're doing now. You know that's
0: mostly my brothers. Uh that's my brothers and I help him um you know when he when he needs help with it I help him a little bit but I like teaching. I enjoy teaching. Um i found out that it's really hard for me to take a beginner and teach somebody but uh, I like to fine tune guys swings and um that's really enjoyable for me. And I like to, you know, I was never a great somebody that had a, a really good handle on psychology, golf psychology, but, um you know, I kind of, I, I tried real hard with it. So I I'm to the point now where I can, I can help somebody, uh, you know, golf psychology, I can help them, you know, maybe, maybe manage their game better and And, try and stay you know a little more positive, I mean, you know as well as anybody that golfers tend to get down on themselves, and that doesn't really help the situation all
2: right, Tom, before I let you go, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the things you're doing and uh whether that's to reach out to you about a about a lesson or just follow you on social media
0: yeah i'm I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Um, and I spend way too much time on Facebook. I know that, <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, I going, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to start helping my brother a little bit more schools. They, you know, with the COVID, those, those, that all that stuff kind of went away. Um, and that's, it's slowly coming back, but, um, we do, we do some corporate outings and, and that's fun, you know, where we get, uh, we get a corporation and, and we get, you know, whether they, it's a bonus for, for, you know, for the, a job well done. that They get to go to, they get to come to the school and stuff, but we do some of those and, uh, and that's always fun. You know, my brother's really a good teacher and, um, and, and we have a lot of fun doing them. Uh, so we're, we're trying to get that fired back up. So, yeah, I mean, we'd love to do, you know, some more, um, some more outings and, um, um, you know, we have a good time doing it, and usually the the people that come and, and are with us, they have a good time, too.
2: Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a lot of fun when you're a part of the segment. Hope you'll come back and do it again well, soon.
0: Thanks, Chris. I, you, you've got a great show. I'm, I'm a listener now, um, and uh, it's like TP said, you're the best. And, um, I, I really enjoy coming on the show and uh, anytime, anytime I can help, anytime I can come on, I'll, I'll be happy to.
2: Thanks wow. again. Thank you very much for all of that. Thank you. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up soon. Okay. Thanks. See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Pertzer and folks. Um, you know, like we've said throughout this show, a guy who had the sweetest swing. Of anybody, probably of any era, you can probably match it right up against the great Ben Hogan for how sweet his swing and tempo and rhythm all were, and then had a great career on the PGA Tour and then and then extended that over on the Champions Tour and uh, had some really great finishes in majors as well. And on top of all of that, and probably more important than any of that, is he's a great father and just a great person. So. I can't thank Tom enough for uh, coming back and being a part of the show, and I hope I get the privilege of having him back again soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, David Purcell, let me remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance, from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two performance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shield Sports Stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to 2under.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. 2 under performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. All right. Now next on the T with me is David Purcell. David is the founder and CEO of Farmlinks at Purcell Farms, which is a fabulous looking golf course and resort in Alabama. David is an Auburn alumni. He graduated with his degree in commercial art. He founded Farm Links back in 2003. The golf course was named Best Public Course in the State of Alabama by Golf Advisor, and it was also number one on GolfAlabama.com and in Golf Week magazine as well. And it's an honor to have David with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, David, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: David, I mentioned at the top of the show, when most people think about the best public golf courses in the state of Alabama, pretty much everyone, I think, goes to the Robert Trent Jones Trail, and one of those courses immediately comes to mind. But Farm Links tops all of them, and just about every publication I've looked at, talk about that's got to make you feel great.
4: You know, it does. We're kind of the underdog because uh, the trail...
1: Uh, got started before we did and, uh, they are a very well publicized amenity here in Alabama. Have done great, uh, brought a lot of, uh, tourism to Alabama and, uh, started, they were one of the first to start the golf trails in the state around. I know that it's been duplicated since then, but, uh, yeah, so we're a one-off, uh, golf experience here uh we you know our, our story goes back in the fertilizer business when we used to sell controlled release fertilizer to the off course superintendents all across the country and around the world in and canada and different places and we used to bring them here and so we built uh we built a really nice guest lodge and uh this 18 hole uh research and demonstration golf course called farm Link, And it was all about selling fertilizer back in the day. So this is back in the, uh, the early 2000. And when we, w- one of the things we found out is that if we could get a golf course superintendent to, uh, get out of his environment, come and visit us, it was, it was all, you know, it was a free trip for those guys and they would spend, three days, two nights here, and we could not only show them uh, our fertilizer plants and meet our people, they got some classroom training, but the real clincher was that we were able to demonstrate the usage of our product on this uh, research and demonstration golf course, which had never been done before. So everything was just so unique. and. so, you know, Herdson Fry Golf Design, uh, out of Columbus, Ohio, they were the ones to design the golf course. I had met Mike Herdson and told him what it was we were trying to do. And they just built a fabulous, uh, track here. We used a lot of property, a lot of land to create an 18 hole golf course. And people love it because it, it's really, uh, I won't say it, it's easy, but it's, it's, uh, you know, we don't try to penalize the golfer as much as maybe some courses would, but, uh, um, we just like people to have a good time. You know, if they hit a stray ball, uh, we, we don't grow the roughs up to where you're going to lose your ball and, and people just really enjoy it. And a lot of times we'll have people come and they'll just say, I just shot my best score of my life. And that is absolutely, uh, one of the Best things I love to hear is that people are having fun, they enjoy the course, and they're coming in droves. And it's it's you know it's just been an amazing dream come true for me because I, I grew up I was a golfer as a kid and and just loved the game, and, but grew up in the fertilizer business and and I'm a you know commercial art major at Auburn University, a lot of creative skills and it's just been really really fun to have people come to our little neck in the woods which is not on the beaten path in here in alabama and uh 3200 acres and we just love doing hospitality here so i know that's a long answer but there you go <laughs>
2: well, i appreciate that but you you mentioned that the the course is a research and demonstration course what do you mean by that
1: Well. Of course, um, it was, it was, uh, we did some research on it. Um, we would try new products on new grasses. We had partners with, uh, Toro and Club Car and BASF and some others that were all the top names in the golf industry. And what was really cool about, uh, Farmlinks was people would come and play and we may, have an area in the middle of the landing zone on hole number one, which is the part five. And it was just like a little small research deal. And they would have a sign on it. And we would talk about what's going on there. And people, you know, people were just mesmerized by all this, these little trials that we had going on. And, uh, and it became, it, it was, it was so much more than just a golf round. They got to, uh, see different types of grasses. We have about 35 different, uh, types of grasses out here. All the greens are the same and, uh, all the fairways are, are one season grasses. We have zoishas, Zorozoisia and, uh, some Bermudas and, uh, we, we tried some things that didn't work and we replaced them. It was just, Really a lot of fun, and uh, it was just so different from what anybody would see anywhere else. No, No private club could try what we did because they would have members jumping up and down because they had a research plot in the middle of the landing zone on number one, but, you know, we would do it just to do it. It was just a lot of fun. And,
2: David, you're an amazing artist and graphic designer as well. I've seen some pictures. That you've drawn or painted, um, some of the legends in the game of golf. Talk about the ones that you've done and why you chose those players.
1: Yeah. You know, it started off, uh, being an artist growing up. Um, I, uh, remember going up to Shoal Creek right after it opened and I saw this, uh, this drawing of Bobby Jones in their kind of wind down room where they would, you would go and get, you know, Drinks or food after your, uh, round. And I was looking up at that. And I said, you know, I can do that. And, and I love golf and I also studied golf history. Uh, so Bobby Jones became the very first figure I ever drew. And, and as you know, there's so many classic, uh, photos of Bobby Jones swinging a golf club and just doing different things back in the late twenties and early thirties. So I, uh, I did a, uh, a, a big drawing, got some prints made of it, donated the original to Shoal Creek to the board of directors of Shoal Creek. And I, at the same time, I was uh, applying to get into Shoal Creek. So this was back in like 1990. And, um, and of course they, they, uh, voted me in and they hung that picture on the, uh, in the boardroom, just kind of up on the mantle, up on this huge rock fireplace. And, and I was honored by that. So, uh, so then I just, I just, uh, started, uh, out with the uh, golf course superintendents association of America. They commissioned me for 14 years to draw somebody different every year. So I drew, um, uh, you know, kind of whoever would win the the old Tom Morris award and, and got to meet, you know, Byron Nelson and um, Greg Norman and Paul Azinger and, I, you know, all kinds of people. I drew Nicholas and uh, Arnold Palmer. And uh, so I I just, you know, since I, since my affinity was golf, I just kind of decided to really focus on golfers. But I've done – you know, I did a uh right after <laughs> I, I, I've i kind of gotten known for uh, doing drawings of, of people who have recently died, such as Dale Earnhardt when he had his accident. You know, I did this. We're right in the middle of NASCAR country, and we're about 25 miles from the Talladega Speedway here. And uh so I drew a picture of Dale Earnhardt, which my wife says is the best one I've ever done. And then I did, uh, you know, I, I got to do, uh, Sam Sneed one time, met, met Sam up at the Greenbrier up in West Virginia. And, uh, he came down one time for a charity golf event that I put on here for Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And, uh, boy, you talk about a, uh, a, a cool personality. He was a trip. He was, he was, he could, he could tell you anything about uh now he was in his 80s when he came down here. He could tell you what what he shot each day in the 1936 US Open, but he couldn't tell you what he had for lunch today. So, he was just he was just one story after another and I was fascinated with with that. But I've drawn uh uh I've got the original I drew of uh of Sam Snead is is actually up in the clubhouse up at uh, the Greenbrier. And then I did a, uh, I did a drawing of Charlie Yates who uh, was the great amateur at Augusta National and uh, was able to present the original drawing to he and his family in the Butler cabin um, in the nineties. And uh, so I've got an original in the Butler cabin. And so I'm just kind of trying to work my way around and, Get my artwork as many places as possible, but, uh, but I probably got about 50 different print series out there. And when people want to, want to get one, it, it, everything goes to charity and it, it's awesome.
2: David, I, you know, Sam Steen is a guy that, uh, I revere and uh, I loved him during the course of his career and the things that he achieved and, I've heard a lot of stories about Sam Snead, so I'm curious to get yours. Like, was there a favorite story that he either shared with you or from your time getting to spend whatever amount of time that was with him?
1: Well, uh, one of the things he said was, um, uh, he, you know, he never won, uh, the U.S. Open and that's what he always wanted to win. He won the British Open, won the, the Masters, won the PGA. And he told me one time, he says, if I had just shot even par, I would have won the U.S. Open like four or five times. I mean, and he just, you know, back then, they didn't really know who was shooting what. So he would kind of get in trouble on a hole. Next thing you know, he'd start pressing, and and he would lose by one or two, kind of like that. But um, he uh, – I I'll, I'll tell you a cool story about when he played in our charity golf event. Now he's probably eighty eighty four years old. And he comes up to Greystone Country Club and he puts on a little clinic for all of the people that were p- participating in this charity golf event. And Sam was uh you know, he still holds the record for the most wins and uh on the PGA tour. So Uh, he, uh, he's out hitting balls and he's still got that classic, beautiful golf swing. I mean, you know, and everybody, I mean, I think it's truly one of the best golf swings ever in the history of professional golf. And so he's, he's out there hitting, uh, a five iron about a hundred and fifty yards. Okay, so he's just got this nice little swing, and he's just kind of, he hit a draw, he hit a cut, and uh, and everybody's just kind of standing around. And then all of a sudden, he kind of stops and turns around with that Sam Knee grin, and he looks at the crowd, and he says, I bet y'all don't think I could still hit this 200 yards. And everybody said, you know, no, we we want to see you hit it. and And so... He lined up and he hit a, just a rocket out there about, you know, over 200 yards, just this beautiful little draw. And, you know, here's 84 year old guy with a, with a, uh with a swing, you know, all his clubs were just absolutely worn out in the sweet spot. And, uh, everybody was just really fascinated with how, how good an athlete he was. And, uh, maybe maybe one of the i mean he could probably rival some of the the guys playing today not necessarily in strength or whatever but i mean he literally could kick a dime off the top of a of a door you know he he used to do that all the time and win money and uh, he was just very very limber but uh totally totally full of stories and you know i love that i i spend hours with him just listening to him talk about, you know, all his golf experiences.
2: And David, there's a lot of history on your golf course that players can go out there and learn about during the course of playing their round. Talk about that and how players can read about that history.
1: Yeah, you know, all of our golf holes have different names and um so some of it is geographical, some of it is, is historical. You know, we have uh there was a, a, a fort, uh, that was built by Andrew Jackson about just really a couple of miles from the farm here. And, uh, he floated down the Coosa River and, uh, had about 5,000 Tennessee volunteers and federal troops and went over and fought the Creek Indians at Horseshoe Bend and they came right across our farm during that time uh hernando de soto supposedly came through here um and we you know there's there's names of golf holes like uh number five which is uh i don't know if any of your listeners uh have played here or know about the course but we've got this one hole that definitely a candidate to be you know our trademark hole and it's uh it's a par three, it's about 220 yards from the, from the back tee, but it's a 170 foot drop and we call it hang time because you hit a ball out there and, uh, you know, the wind can do some really, really interesting things with the ball that, that goes up and then, and then literally goes down another 170 feet of where it normally would hit the ground. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there, there were some, uh, and Fry, the, the, uh, the great architectural group that, uh, you know, famous for Aaron Hills, uh, Mike Herdson and Dana Fry, they were, they were great friends. And I just really enjoyed spending time with them out on the golf course and just rerouting, uh, you know, some holes. I, I would give them credit for most of the golf course, but occasionally they would come up, come out and, and they would, you know, call me out of my office and say, Hey, I, we got to make a decision on this, this particular routing change. And uh so I go out and kind of give my opinion, but this is land that, uh, you know, that I kind of grew up on. I raised a family of six out here and we spent a lot of time on the land well before we ever built the golf course. So, uh, you know, I was, I knew a lot about the land and knew what it was I wanted to construct out here and they absolutely did a magnificent job with that so the the little uh the the size each hole has kind of a little story with it, which is kind of fun to people coming out for the first time as well,
2: David. I want to ask you about a few of the other holes on the golf course and and I read that on the 14th hole, oh, there can be any number of creatures sort of lurking off the left side of that par four. Uh, I think you named it the swamp hole. I'm guessing if you go way left, you might just want to drop another ball and not go look in there. Is that accurate? Uh,
1: yes. Uh, let's just say that there's nobody that has ever gone looking for a ball back way back in that hole on the left and never come back. So <laughs> it's no what there is there's a there's a uh there's a swamp, there's a uh a body of water that runs down through there and it it was a wetland. And so Herdson and Fry they were always very, very protective of of uh of wetlands and you know, wanted to make sure environmentally in fact they're they're uh the name of their firm was Herds and Fry Environmental Golf Design they were very much known for taking care of the environment and making sure that you stayed away from uh kind of where nature is. And so yes, you play that hole to par four and uh the left really doesn't come into play that much, but if you do hit something over there, uh, it would not be advantageous to go look for it very long and not very deep. Uh I, I there have been times when I have actually kind of jokingly said, you know, if I gave you a million dollars, would you take all your clothes off and go swim through that swamp to the other <laughs> side? And I hadn't had a taker yet. So, uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's, you know, in Alabama, all our snakes are poisonous. So I don't think you want to go out there and mess with them.
2: I also read that the Bermuda grass on the fifteenth hole only needs to be mowed once a year. Is that accurate?
1: That is not accurate, but uh, it makes for a great story. Uh, the only The only grass that doesn't need to be mowed is called artificial grass, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we don't have any of that out here. But but uh, literally on the on the fifteenth hole, we have changed that hole out more times with different grasses. Uh I mean for time to time we would just go in and just completely redo it. Redo the fairway. All the greens have stayed the same. And we've got bent grass, uh A one, A four bent grass that kind of transitioned into T one bent grass. But uh and and we've probably got you know, we're probably about as far south as you'll you'll see healthy uh bent grass. But uh but that particular hole we always kind of liked it because it was, it was almost like a Swiss army knife of things that you could do. You could do bunker surrounds, put in new grasses. So, uh, back in the day when we were bringing in, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred golf course superintendents a year, we would, uh, you know, the grass companies would come in and they would want to showcase some of their new grasses. So we'd allow them to do that on that
4: particular hole.
2: And David, talk about the original farmhouse that stands by the 18th T. It was built way back in the 1800s. I imagine it's got quite a history.
1: Yes, sir. It was a, uh, plantation home that, that predates the Civil War. And it was not in our family. My, my parents found the home and it was, it was dilapidated, but it wasn't in terrible shape. It just it had a good roof. On it and all the timber was heart pine. And so the, the bones of the building, of the building was good. So they decided in the, uh, in the seventies when I took off to go to Auburn, I was the youngest child. They moved out to, uh, the little community called Fayetteville, Alabama and they, uh, they began renovating this home and it took them about two years to renovate it literally back to its grandeur back probably during the civil war uh it has a you know it had a smokehouse uh, a lot of historical uh buildings around it built on the on a little Knoll around uh, uh about 25 different springs which serve as our complete ir- irrigation source today um and so there was uh the the uh the agricultural crop that this particular plantation had uh run by it was a guy named uh, Moses Hamilton that actually uh lived in the house and, and uh and and had the, operated the plantation uh it was a um they had they had orchards that were known for all these orchards and these fruits that they would grow around, uh, you know, around, they would, they would haul these fruits like in surrounding counties and all. And I've read some historical accounts about what, what great fruits they used to, uh, to grow. And, uh, you know, so now we're operating the, the, uh, that uh, that particular venue my parents actually lived in that home for 30 years we turned it into uh a wedding venue and about 22 acres i actually call it the augusta national of wedding venues cuz um uh, it is it is amazing and we're i mean we're we're really uh covered up with with weddings but um so we're we're kind of growing a different type of fruit now that we're uh we do a lot of uh, ministry related things on the farm and uh and of course having these these weddings uh at the same spot that's every weekend there's a wedding and uh it's just kind of fun it's that's a, that's a little bit aside from the golf course itself but um but we also have uh we have the uh Orvis shooting grounds here actually the the family that owns Orvis. Approach to us about uh, putting in a shooting grounds, and uh, or they do so they operate it. We they're not our employees. It's is employees, and what they're doing is teaching people. They want to teach people about upland bird hunting. So they have sporting clay range. They have uh, they have five stands. They got all kinds of instructional areas. They do fly fishing instruction, and then they also handle all the fishing on our property, which we've got a lot of. We don't have any whitewater streams, but we got a lot of really, really, you know, good stock ponds here. And then they also do uh, live, you know, bird hunting out here. Uh, Dove, duck, quail, and pheasant on the property. So there's a lot to do, whether if you come here for golf, There's a lot more that you can do other than golf. You come here for a business meeting or you come here for a wedding. Um, This is just a a great place to to be entertained a lot of different ways.
2: David, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they get more information about the resort and then stay up to date with what's going on there, either on your website or over social media?
1: Yeah, so... uh, social media uh my my son in law is our director of marketing so he's always sending things out uh, so purcell farms is the uh the name of the resort itself it's p u r s e l l f a r m s and then farm links is the name of the golf course which is also um, it's uh, one of the one of our trademarks is uh is the, are the longhorn bulls out at the front entrance when you drive into the golf course. And so our, our icon or our little logo on the shirt is a, it's a combination of a longhorn bull swinging a golf club, kind of like Bobby Jones would. So you got a, a longhorn bull wearing plus fours. And it's just a really, really cool logo and it's probably one of the best things I ever designed as far as a logo is concerned. But, uh, but the best way to, if, uh, if anybody's interested and, uh, really highly recommend you at least look at it is to go to our website, uh, com, And it's got all kinds of information, photography, videos, and that's kind of a good source for people to learn about it and it's got all our contact information on in there.
2: Well, David, it's been great having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Keep us up to date with what's happening out there at Parcel Farms.
1: Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, God bless.
2: Thank you, David. Staying back to you and your family. Stay safe, my friend. All the best. That is David Purcell, P-U-R-S-E-L-L, Purcell Farms, and then obviously Farm Links, like you said, is the name of the golf course. Folks, you got to go online just to at least check out the place. I mean, as I was looking at the golf course and the, and the different holes, and like you say, it's got all kinds of different names for what they've got going on out there, but it is one heck of a great-looking golf course. I mean, it has to be, right? To be the number one golf course that you can play in the state of Alabama, again, we all know about the Robert Trent Jones Trail and the, and the many golf courses that they have and how wonderful those are. And to think the part that Purcell Farms leapfrogged over all of them to be the number one course in the state of Alabama. Got to be special. It looks that way online. Hopefully I get the, uh, the opportunity to go out there and play sometime. But you got to go check it out. Looks fantastic. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again go out to Tom Patry, Bob Ford, Tom Perzer, and David Purcell for joining me tonight. Folks, please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And we're going to be kicking off the month of August in style with four great guests, starting with Hal Sutton. He's going to be making a return visit with us. Hal's become a wonderful friend over the last couple of years. We'll also get a long overdue return visit from 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. Top instructor Jason Hayes will be back with us. And Speaking of great golf courses, Jason's home course, Buffalo Dunes, was named the 8th best municipal course in the country this year by Golf Magazine back in June, so we'll certainly be talking about that. Then we'll round out the show with Golf Digest Top 100 instructor Eric Johnson, you guys know he has been a great friend since the beginning of this show, eight seasons ago, so really looking forward to having him back as part of the show. So it's going to be a great one, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of the show with us. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora is now jumped on board, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Podcast.co. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, I'm sure we're on it. Just type in Next on the T" in the search bar. You'll probably find us there. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.